As we look to the scriptures this morning, um, we're going to be looking together at the last book of the Bible, uh, Revelation, and talking about God's heart in a divided world. God's heart in a divided world. And so in this vision at the end of John's Revelation, we, we see the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven as a bride adorned for her husband. And this new city is making all things new, creating a new heaven and a new earth. And in the midst of this, God is doing all new things with us in the world too. And so we pick up Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 22, if you have your Bibles. And this is what John shares with us. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will no longer be night there, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night, for they will not need the light of the lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, as we come before you today, I pray that, uh, that you will just give us a heart that's just like your heart. Help us be a church community that, that uh, has the same passion and love and holiness that you long for in us. And, uh, oh God, we pray for one another today that you might be at work here in our time together in, in ways that will bring the healing, not just of the nation's, but of our hearts and lives with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of our great challenges, brothers and sisters, in, in our day and age is, is really a challenge of divisiveness. Um, as human beings, we're culturally wired, and a lot of that cultural wiring means we like our groups and we trust our groups, but we don't always trust the other groups. And, uh, and in fact, we can be angry or frustrated or fearful or whatever. 
And, uh, and what I want to talk about today is in the midst of a season in life where even as a church, we've, we've been through great discussion and prayer and discernment about what to happen next. In light of all this, um, is there hope for us even in a divided age? And my answer is yes. One of the reasons I'm hopeful is as we have communion today, this is World Communion Sunday, right? First Sunday of October. There are 2.5 billion brother and sister followers of Jesus all around the world. And today, many of them will be coming to the communion table together like us, and we will all be approaching the feet of Jesus together, and there will be people from every tribe, every language, every tongue, every nation, every background, just a diversity of humanity will come to the table together. And so this day in particular, I think, is a day of remembering in hope what God is doing and what he has done. Now, I want you to take kind of a brief journey with me throughout the scripture on this issue of divisiveness. It began really at a tower, the Tower of Babel. And there in that story in the book of Genesis, there was this community of people, this family of humanity that wanted to stay together. So they built this glorious city and to make a name for themselves, they wanted to be a blessed people. They built a tower, what we would call probably a ziggurat today, those ancient buildings. They built a tower to God in order to try to connect with God in a way that would help them be a a great blessing in the world. Now, uh, Scholars know today that the purpose of the ziggurats were not really for humanity to reach God. Instead, it was to give God a place where God could come down and dwell with humanity on earth. And so in the story, God comes down, and as he dwells the ziggurat, he sees what the people of Babel are doing and how they are interacting with him. And one theologian says that in that day, one, you have a very polytheistic view of religion, so there are many gods, and that was uh, not on the right path at all. But then in a second level, the way that the ancient religions worked is your relationship with God was very transactional. And what that means was, in a place like this, the idea was, God, come down, and God, we will scratch your back, if you will scratch our back. God, we will feed you bulls and goats, we'll sacrifice, we'll do magic spells, we'll say the right words, we'll do the right thing, whatever it takes for you to be with us, to be our God, and to bless us together as this city and this community. And one of the great Hebrew scholars said, God looked at that and said, They have gotten relationship with God so wrong that I've got to do something else. Because if they get this wrong, who knows what else they're going to get wrong in the future? Who knows what other bad ideas that they're going to bring to fruition if they're all on the same page doing the same thing together? And so God in that moment gave them different languages. 
And we had there the great scattering of nations, peoples, tribes, and languages over the face of the earth. And so God says, instead of doing it their way, I'm going to show them my way. And in the very next chapter, he calls a fellow named Abram and says, follow me. Go on this great adventure with me and I'll lead you into new places and I'll bless you. And through you, I will bless all the nations and people of the earth. Abraham, if I can get my relationship right with you through covenant rather than transaction, then we will, uh, we will change the world with great blessing. And so thousands of years ago, that was the first scattering. Humanity was trying to find solutions in sticking together. And God said the solution is going to be to scatter out. Over the course of that time, there arose empires. And so empires began to be build uh, these communities and tribes and peoples and bring them, really force them back together, whether they wanted to be together or not. The greatest of these empires was the Roman Empire. And as God worked through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, and then through the people of Israel, God laid a foundation that I am the living God, there is no other, and relationship with me is through my covenant gift of grace to you. You don't earn it, you don't work for it, you don't scratch my back, I don't need anybody to scratch my back, but I offer it to you as grace because you are a broken and sinful people and the only way you can find my grace is to come to me. And on this foundation in the age of the Roman era and the Roman Empire, God said, okay, now it's the right thing to go from the scattering and we're going to move back to the gathering through the man, the Son of God, Jesus the Messiah. Jesus comes on the scene. He teaches great things. He challenges the religious authorities of his day. He leads a spiritual revolution in Israel and Judaism, and so much so that by the end, the leaders of the day were ready to crucify him. And so they did. They nailed him to a cross, and they thought, okay, we've done that. It's all over. Then he conquered death, and in that conquering of death and rising from the grave, he offered us a hope that things can be changed, that transformation can occur, that resurrection presence and power has conquered death and the grave, and that there is a new path in the days ahead. And as those days progressed, and as Jesus ascended into heaven and sat at God's right hand, the next thing he said is, stay in Jerusalem and see what I do next. Right? So we know what God did next. The day of what? Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Spirit, is poured out on the whole entire church. And as it's poured out on the church, instead of scattering, it's a spirit of gathering. And there today, there in that day in Jerusalem, they were in Jerusalem for their, uh, for their first fruits festival on Pentecost. And as they were there together, people began hearing the disciples preach and proclaim in all these different languages, in Greek and Latin, in, uh, you know, Aramaic and Babylonian and Egyptian 
and they were there that day and people were like, what is going on? What is the Spirit doing? How are we hearing these good things of good news in our own home language from where we're from? And God's point in Pentecost was a reversal of the scattering 2,000 years before. And instead of scattering, God is saying, through Jesus, I am calling my people, tribes, nations, and tongues back to me. It is the season of gathering. And so the church of Jesus began proclaiming a message of good news and forgiveness and resurrection to the ends of the earth. And as they did, they began to gather not just Jewish people into the kingdom, which is what the Jews thought would happen, but begin gathering folks like us, kind of the Greco-Roman English Gentiles, the nations. And as we look, for instance, in uh, Luke's book of Acts, which talks about the history of the early church, in there we also find kind of God's model for what the church is to be like. God's model for what the church is to be like. And he doesn't choose the Jerusalem church, which is what we often think. Instead, he chooses the church where we were first called Christians at a place called Antioch. And there we see how God is gathering peoples from all nations and tribes and tongues. He's gathering us back together. And as we see, it says this uh, in Acts chapter 13. Now the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for, to the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Brothers and sisters, in, in the book of Acts, we see in Antioch what I think was to be a model church. Now, a model church, not a perfect church. We know, right? There's no perfect church. If there was a perfect church, once I get there, well, it's all gone down, down the drain, right? Once you get there, it's all going down the drain. We're sinners. We're a fallen church. We're not complete. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect denomination, but we can choose what we think is best, and y'all did that yesterday. But still, there is a model church, and I want you to notice how this model church functioned. The first thing I want you to notice is their leadership team. Have you ever looked at their leadership team? The first person mentioned is Barnabas. Now, we know a little bit about Barnabas. Barnabas was a Jewish priest, but he was a Jewish priest who grew up on the island of Cyprus. So he, he kind of had a hometown that was different from the normal people that grew up in Israel. So that was a little unique, and Barnabas had helped bring this fledgling church along. But then there was a second leader called Simon, called Niger. Now, I don't know if we're quite sure where Simon came from, but it's pretty clear he came from North Africa. And the word Niger kind of gives that away. Niger could either perhaps be that area that we now call Nigeria, or it would also refer to his skin being quite dark. So very potentially, 
Simon was a person of color who was on the leadership team of this church in Antioch. And then we could go and look at Lucius of Cyrene. Cyrene is also a North African country. It's now in modern-day Libya. And so Lucas also is someone who's not from Antioch and not from Israel, but someone who's on the leadership team from North Africa. And then as well, we have Menaean. And Menaean was like the aristocrat of the bunch because he grew up with, with, uh, with Herod the Tetrarch who caused a lot of trouble for Jesus and John the Baptist, which means Menaean was probably a Jewish fella from the region of Galilee, maybe somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, who grew up in the same area that Herod would have grown up. And then there was Saul, and we know Saul was Saul of Tarsus. Now, Tarsus was actually a town not far from Antioch. It was kind of a suburb of Antioch. And so we see in Saul kind of a, a Pharisaic, Jewish, uh, Greek, Turkish kind of person in, in Paul, uh, who was called Saul at that time. We see in their leadership team this incredible gathering of diversity for God's glory in the kingdom. And it's like Acts is saying, this is what my kingdom looks like. This is how it's supposed to be. And then to add to that, they had something else. They had a great missionary heart. They wanted to be the hands and feet of Jesus, not just in Antioch, but anywhere where the name of Jesus was not known and anywhere the good news of Jesus had not been spread. And so they call Barnabas and Paul out on their first missionary journey and send them out to be witnesses for Christ in new places. And what we see here is a picture of an incredibly diverse church that is gathered whole and healthy with a missionary heart for the kingdom of God. And I think we see a picture of what church can be. And my hope today is, is that, that we would find a way to get closer to that picture. Um, and to say a little dynamics of this, we are a cultural people. As human beings, we just, we have a cultural fit wherever we grow up that makes us us and others others and them them and we we. I, I didn't mean that, but <laughs> you know what I mean. And even as churches, right? Even as churches, like kind of to gather around those that are like us, right? We want to, so, uh, over the years, we've gone from one church to in about 1,000 AD, two churches, to now in America, we've got over 200 denominations. And uh, in the world, we've got 45,000 denominations. Like, we know how to do church a little different all over the world. But for a God that's hard is to gather, sometimes I wrestle, is that, is that really what God's after? But in a diverse and divided age, that's often the result. And so is there hope? for not just a divided world, but often a divided church, an imperfect church. One of the amazing things is, as though the church isn't perfect, God still says that his church is holy. He says the church is holy, and he doesn't give up on us. And I thank God for that, because there are sometimes I wonder, 
Lord, maybe you should have forgiven up on me a long time ago. But God doesn't. He finds the holiness in not just us, not just our community, as fallen as it is, but in church and in denominations all over the world. And so we finally come to the teaching in Revelation. And here we see the hope. As the new Jerusalem comes down, as the new heaven and new earth shine forth, as God and the Lord Jesus take up their thrones, we see God's heart is still about gathering to the very end. Did you notice that? God will be the light and the Lamb its lamp, and the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it, and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Did you notice those verses? Those are the ones that pop out for me. That at the end of time, God's heart is a gathering heart for nations and people and tribes and tongues. Oftentimes we get the idea that, well, our nation is the best nation there is, and our culture is the best way to do it, and everybody else is just far below us. You know, they, in the ancient times we'd say, well, we need to go civilize and Christianize the world, and I wish that was a good thing, but it hasn't always been a good thing. Instead, what, uh, what the Lord talks about here, brothers and sisters, is that the nations of the earth will bring their splendor and their honor and their glory into the city of Jerusalem. That is, in every tribe, tongue, nation, people, and culture on our planet, there is something incredibly beautiful, incredibly wonderful, incredibly unique, incredibly diverse. And God loves it. And those characteristics of these nations and these peoples like us, they're going to bring their best into the kingdom forever and ever. And the kingdom isn't going to be like white church. The kingdom is going to be all kinds of church. We may have you know, black church one week and African church another week and Asian church another week. And, and just the glory and the, the uniqueness is going to be there all together. God wants to bring in God's best and we leave our sin and our shame and our deceit. We leave it outside. And it's the light of Jesus that reveals the best of God's kingdom in our lives, in our peoples, and among our cultures. It's the light of Jesus that transforms us more into his image. And so to me, that's good news. God is a gathering God. And he will not stop until his house is full of all kinds of people. And so we are to be a church that invites them to come in and goes to them on the streets and does all we can do so that they can find their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life like we pray our names will be written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And then one last point. He goes on and says that there is this vision of God and the Lamb with the living water, the water of life running down the middle of the city, the tree of life on each side bearing regular crops of fruit to bring life 
to everyone who is able to eat. And it says last, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the tree of nations, the healing of the nations. Brothers and sisters, this verse in a divided world gives me great hope. Because God is a God who knows how much our divisiveness and dividedness tears us apart. And in the tree of life, the tree that gives eternal life in that tree's existence are the leaves to heal the nations, to tear down the walls, to remove the divisions, to, to comfort the broken hearts, and to minister um, to our hearts and lives. And in this moment, as you all move into new days and down a new path, I hope that you and I, and that we can find in this moment, that we can lean in to the tree of life even now on this side of eternity, through the Holy Spirit, to find the leaves that might heal our hearts and lives today and in the days ahead. Because I know, I know many of you are happy. You know, probably 60, 70% from the vote are happy. But I know that there are still, in our midst, many who are hurting, and many who are uncertain, and many who are questioning and not sure. And for you, and for all of us, we grieve together, um, as we celebrate together. And so it's important that we see in this moment a need for God's healing. Healing of nations, but also healing, healing of denominations. I think God's going to take all 45,000 of the denominations one day and do the exact same thing. They're going to, each denomination is going to bring the best of who it is into the kingdom. The Wesleyans and Methodists will bring our best. The Baptists will bring their best. The Catholics will bring their best. The Pentecostals will bring their shouting and praising and all that and their best. You know, we'll all bring our best into the kingdom one day. And God will take the best of all of us and tear down the walls that have divided us in days and ages and we will see God's face together, and his name will be on our foreheads, and with him we will reign forever. You see, the kingdom is not going to be just like this worship service we're having today. It's going to be incredible, because it's going to be a, a multicultural, multi-ethnic extravaganza. Woohoo! God's going to be saying, I want to hear those you know, conga drums coming out of Africa. Give me more of those drums, you know. He's going to be saying, you know, give me the, the, the composers that came out of Europe, like Handel, give me more of them. And then he's going to be saying, well, give me more Latino-style worship. I want to hear more, uh, you know, of their maracas, and let's jazz it up a bit. You know, it's going to be an incredible celebration. And my final challenge is this, is... If this is what the kingdom's going to be like, this is really more and more, I think, what the church is called to be like, too. 
we live in a day and an age where the unchurched world is looking at the church people and saying, now you say Jesus changes lives, you say Jesus changes the world, I want to see it. I want to see it lived out. When I come to worship with you, I want to see it. I want to see it in, in welcoming all kinds of cultures and people and tribes and tongues and finding ways maybe one Sunday to worship a little more Hispanic Latino style and another Sunday worship a little more black style and one Sunday we can sing the old hymns and one Sunday sing the new praise songs. I want to see all the best of the church of Jesus has to offer. They want to see the kingdom right here, right now. And so the day and ages where a segregated church could be a witness for Christ, those days are disappearing. If you want to reach a new generation for Christ, we've got to be a people of the kingdom. And we are. We're trying to be more. That's been part of my heart uh, since day one I've been here. Uh, but things like we have a Haitian family in our church. We've got Honduran family in our church. We have an Eastern Asian family in our church. We've got a little bit of diversity already. How can we continue in our diverse Rockdale County to say, hey, this is who we are. We're a picture of the kingdom, and you are welcome to be a part of the family. Um, because I think in the coming years, that, those will be the churches and communities um, that make a kingdom difference and that reach new people for Christ because they see the living God who gathers is in our midst. And uh, so I pray today for the healing of the nations for all our hearts and lives in this moment. And I pray that we can find the good news of the kingdom together. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, you give us this grand vision. And as broken human people, it's been hard to figure out a way to live it out, or to even want to live it out sometimes, I guess. But yet you promote this kingdom vision before us. You call us to a great banquet. You call us to your table together as the people of God. And we celebrate 2.5 billion in our family today who are our brothers and sisters who are worshiping in different ways all over this planet. But we all worship you, Jesus. We all celebrate the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we all cry out to the Father who made us. And so, Lord... Help us in this moment be your people for a new day and a new age and a new adventure. And Father, I pray as well by the power of your Holy Spirit that you will bring your healing. It's needed in hurting hearts in some places of our community this morning. And so help us be a people. We rejoice with those that rejoice, but we also, we hurt for those that hurt. And we pray that the leaves of the tree of the life will bring healing to us right now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.